We began the new year by talking about the core values of Clarksburg Baptist Church. Clarksburg Baptist Church has eight core values, and they serve as a foundation for us on which we base our ministry and our vision and what we do here at the church. The first week, we looked at the Bible as our foundation. The second week, we looked at the idea that worship is our response to God. And today, we're going to be looking at the third of those core values. I do want to remind you that if you miss any of the sermons in this, this, this series, you can listen to them either on our website or through our mobile app. Uh, the Bible teaches us that as believers in Christ, we are saved by grace and not by works. That salvation is not earned, it is a gift, and it's made possible through Christ's death on the cross. But once we have accepted this wonderful gift that he offers, we need to grow in our relationship with him. And to grow in our relationship with him, we have to be obedient to him. Obedience is one of the core values of Clarksburg Baptist Church. We believe that saved people live like Jesus. Both obedience and disobedience are, are matters of the heart. And there's a passage in Jeremiah, in chapter 31, where he talks, God talks about a, a new covenant. And he says, this new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant. And in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Under the old covenant, God had written his law on tablets of stone and given them to Moses. But in the new covenant, God is going to write his law on hearts and minds. That he's not talking about a new set of rules that he's going to come up with. But rather, he's talking about a radical change. And this radical change is not actually going to be anything that we can do ourselves. It's going to be the work of God's Spirit who's going to come in and make a radical change in us. In other places in Old Testament prophecy, it's, it's called a new heart or a new spirit. In the New Testament, we use terms like rebirth and regeneration. So for us, we, we want to know if, if we are Christians, if we say we are believers in Christ, uh, we want to know that that rebirth and that regeneration has actually taken place in us. We want to know for sure. Uh, saved people live like Jesus is the way we're going to know. Uh, F.B. Huey writes that those under the new covenant will obey God not out of duty or fear, but out of a God-given desire and ability to do so. Assurance is an important thing for us. Assurance means either full confidence or freedom from doubt or, or certainty. And it's an important part of our faith. We want to know. We want to have the assurance of our own salvation. We want to know for sure that it's real. And when someone comes to us, for instance, as a church and says, hey, I'd like to be a leader or I would like to teach, we want to know for sure that their experience with Christ was real. So how do you know? How do you have the assurance? Is it because you have a baptismal certificate? Uh, is it because you're a member of, of a certain church? No, th those things are not evidence. Those things are, are maybe proof that, that you were baptized and proof that you joined a church. But they don't present the evidence that we need for that assurance that that 
rebirth or that regeneration has actually taken place. So how do we know for sure? 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. John writes, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know that we have come to know. The first know means to have the assurance of something. The second, have come to know, means being in a proper relationship. So what this says is that we can have the assurance of being in a proper relationship with him if we keep his commands. So the question then becomes, who is him? I mean, if we're supposed to keep his commands, isn't it important for us to know who the him is? Well, some say the him is Jesus. But if you think about it in relation to the Jeremiah passage that we read, uh, the hymn refers to God. Uh, Raymond Brown, if I can paraphrase him, says that John here is dealing with not how to know God, I'm sorry, is dealing with how to know God who is light, not how to know Christ. That might seem like a small thing, but it can be enlightening for us if we look, as we look at our relationship. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we sinners could have the broken relationship with God restored. He shed his blood for us on the cross. And his blood that he shed is part of that new covenant. But we come to God through Christ and then God's spirit comes in and makes the change in us. And God himself writes his commands on our mind and on our hearts. So, the evidence of whether or not that took place is if we're obedient. The, the evidence that indeed something has taken place, a transformation, a rebirth, a regeneration, whatever you want to call it, has taken place in us is if we're obedient. The key point is if anything really has taken place internally, then it will make its way to the surface. You want to know something's changed inside of you? You want to know that God has really come and written his commands on your heart and put them in your mind? You really want to know that that's happened? Well, if it happened inside for real, then it's going to make its way to the outside. So, naturally, if God's commands aren't making their way to the surface, then there's a problem. And John says in verse 4 of 1 John 2, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. These are pretty strong words. The, the person who claims to know God, but is consistently disobedient, is a liar. Their relationship with God is a lie. They're fooling themselves, and, and they're trying to fool others. But some people will rationalize their, their disobedience by saying, well, you know, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Or, or they'll rationalize it in the life of somebody else. They'll say, well, that's just the way somebody is. Do you realize how dangerous that statement is? If you say, that's the way I am, that disobedient part of me, that's the way I am, what you're saying is that, that God never came and made any kind of transformation in me. You're saying it didn't take place. If that's who you are, 
then, then the change didn't take place. And that thing that you want to know so badly, there's some evidence there that God didn't come and write anything on your heart. And maybe you were never a believer in the first place. Those are hard words. But if, if, if you're looking for, for such a contrast, if it's there, it's going to come to the surface. If what comes to the surface is not what God put there, then maybe he never put anything there to begin with. It's difficult for us to understand, but it's very important for us to grasp that. That it's dangerous for the truth to be altogether absent from our lives and for us to just kind of joke about it or rationalize it. It's eternally dangerous for us. Then in verse 5, he says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. Such a stark contrast to the people who are, are basically lying to themselves and others that, that those who obey God's word really do love him. Obeying God shows that you love him. In fact, obedience is, not, is linked not merely with knowing God, but with loving Him. And when we're obedient, he says that love is made complete. Another way to look at it is a, a way that David or Daniel Aiken says it. He says, our love for God reaches a marked out and advanced goal when we keep His word. A marked out and advanced goal. The marked out and advanced goal is not that we just tell God we love him. The marked out and advanced goal is not that we just sing about how much we love him. The marked out and advanced goal for our love for him is do we obey him? That's how we show him that we love him, is if we obey him and do the things that he's written in our hearts. But there's a second part of verse 5. The second part says, this is how we know we are in him. He uses the term in him. It's a term that John uses in one way or another, either in his gospel or in his, his epistles, uh, 35 times. The idea of being in him. To understand that, God is both near and far away. In fact, God is everywhere. There's no place that God is not. But the Bible talks about God's transcendence. In other words, God exists outside of time and space. Uh, for example, God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But also the Bible talks about the idea of God's eminence, the fact that God is present within space and time. Paul writes to the Colossians that in him all things hold together. So the statement, we are in him, that, that John uses about being in him, is a wonderful way of looking at things because John writes about the, the idea the believer is in Christ. Christ is in the believer. Christ and God are in each other. It's a wonderful thought for us, the idea that, that we can be in him and he can be in us. Jeremiah, the passage that we read earlier, where he talks about the, the new covenant and about God indwelling in the person and about God writing uh, his law uh, on their hearts and putting it in their minds. 
uh, is a wonderful passage, but John takes it just a little bit further because God not only dwells in the believer, but the believer also dwells in God. Now, the term in him is used in other places in the New Testament, but when John uses the idea of being in him. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the vine and the branches where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches and that as long as you stay connected to the vine uh, that that you will live and bear uh, a lot of fruit. That's the concept that John has when he talks about us being in Christ. We're connected to him. We are in him. The the branches in the vine, the, the vine gets its life Uh, or the branch gets its life from the vine. The the, the branch can't do anything of its own without the vine. If you disconnect the two, the vine continues to live, but the branch dies. That's the idea that that, that John has when he says that, that we know that we are in him, that we know that we are connected to the vine, that we know that we are where we should be. And here's what he says in verse 6. He actually says, save people live like Jesus, but he says it in a little different way. He says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be a part of that vine, whoever claims to be connected to it, it says must live as Jesus did. It doesn't say it's an option. It doesn't say that you can be in him and not live for him. It says if you are, then you must, is what he says. The person who claims to live in God must allow his or her life to be conformed to the example set by Jesus. Okay, so what does that look like? What does that look like? If saved people live like Jesus... If, if we claim to be in him and we must live like Jesus, what does that look like? What does it look like? Actually, it's not any big secret. It's pretty plain. If, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will have example after example after example of how Jesus lived, the things he did, the things he said, the way he interacted with people. The way he dealt with life, the way he dealt with death, his selflessness, his sacrifice. All of those things you'll find in the Gospels. It's not hidden. It's right there in plain sight. And it's pretty easy to understand. Now, understanding it and actually doing it may be a different thing. How do you do it? How do you do it? Okay, I see it. I I see how Jesus lived, and and, and that's how I want to live. How how do I do it? Well, actually, you can't, Uh, at least not of your own determination and not under your own power. Because if you try to do it yourself, uh, it's going to end up being a works thing. It's going to end up being uh, something that is really going to be kind of fake because it's not going to come from the right source. Uh, We can't save ourselves, and we also cannot do any good thing apart from God working in us and through us. 
Certainly we can see Jesus' example, but the power that we need to live that way only can come through God living and working in us. A lot of times we think, well, okay, I, I look at Jesus' life and I see all the things he did. You know, okay, Jesus, Jesus helped the less fortunate. Hey, so if I go and do something for the less fortunate, I can check that off my live like Jesus list. But you see, living like Jesus is not a checklist. It's not a checklist that you go through. It's a matter of the heart. And it involves total surrender. It involves surrendering everything you are. It's not a checklist. The old covenant was about a checklist. Here are ten things. Check these off and you're in. But the new covenant is different. Trust in Jesus and you get in. We need to realize that any good that we would do, that any life that we would live that looks like Jesus' life doesn't come from anything we manufacture in ourselves. It's God in us, not only showing us what to do, but God giving us also the ability to do it. God says, I am in you. You can be in me. Does that mean you're perfect? No. But here's what it does mean. It means that you're headed in that direction. That, that, that every day that, that you want to become more and more and more like Jesus, you're, you're headed in that direction. God says, I've written it all in your heart. And now it's not what you do, but what I do through you. And if that work is not being done through you, if your life is not modeling Jesus, then maybe God might say to us, then you're not in me and I never really was in you. Because saved people live like Jesus. It's a lot for us to think about. Those of us who call ourselves Christians and claim to be believers and followers of Christ. Is it words only? Or is there evidence of it? Because we live like Jesus. Let's pray.